This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Now launching. Mackie and Judd. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? I don't know. We're just going to see how he he comes back. Um, really, that's not the focus right now. The focus is you know seeing how he's how he's doing and work him in a little bit, and then we'll decide at the end of the week. Just physically. Good. Yeah, I mean, he's been working out. Well, how do you go about the team's plan to integrate him back into activities, however much that is, either today and throughout the week? We have a plan uh, as far as, you know, what we're going to give him today and tomorrow and, um, you know, all the things that he has to do. So he'll practice, are you saying he'll practice today? Yeah. Isn't this a sort of, I mean, it's uncharted. Are we going to talk about the Saints at all? We're okay. pretty good. <laughs> Bob's going to say two more questions in about a minute. Given that this is kind of this is uncharted territory to learn how to deal with something like this, it's not a normal you know guy has a hamstring injury comes back. What kind of support have you received in learning how to work through this and you know support Everson in the way that he needs? I, mean, I don't want to get into too much, but I mean, I bet you there's people in this room that have had to deal with these kind of issues as well, and so you know we all. Everybody in life has probably had to deal with some kind of these different types of issues that that go on that aren't necessarily hamstrings. And uh, I know people that I've dealt with in the past. I know people that you know the doctors, the all the all the medical experts. I mean, they all help help with these situations. And I don't think this is as unique as what kind of what we're making it out to be. I mean, this is a an illness, and he's he's done a good job of helping to get better and continues to try to get better and he you know probably gonna have to continue to do that just like we all have to do in in life you know we all have to try to improve in the things that we're we're working on and getting better at and manny hill i could not disagree with mike zimmer any more than on that last quote everson griffin's return if if everson griffin was going back into an office building or a normal run-of-the-mill job would be ordinary it would it would not be unique But I'm sorry, when we are having a guy whose professional football career is built on being macho, built on being what has been called the heartbeat of this team, built on essentially being able to at least one Sunday during the season for 16 or 17 weeks toss aside opposing offensive linemen like rag dolls, get to another human being and sack that person This is extremely unique going back into a National Football League locker room and into the world of the National Football League. And I applaud the Vikings for what they've done, 
but I hope they do realize that what they're asking here for a player who became a Pro Bowl player partially because of his style of play is extremely, extremely unique. Yeah, it is, and I can't remember another time when during the season where something like this occurred where a player needed to step away uh, because of a because of an issue like this that he's dealing with personally, and I mean, I, 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 you know, Mike Zimmer's got an entire football team that he's got to worry about, but this this is not a this is not just a situation that just happens that you just kind of deal with. Like there's you got you know the Vikings got to tread lightly here, and they got to you know they have to really make sure that this is handled the right way because this is a guy's life and this is this is his life this is his livelihood in terms of football and this is his life in terms of outside of football so it's not just some unique or it's not some you know everyday sort of thing that you just deal with it is a very unique situation i covered this league for the star tribune on a daily basis two years in green bay 2003 and four and then i covered the vikings on a daily basis from 2005 to 2010 And this is in no way bragging, but I will say this. Unless you've been, especially football, unless you've been in a locker room, an NFL locker room on a daily basis, their world is a world in which we don't live. And I only got got the media access glimpse to that world, so I wasn't in there consistently. But I can tell you, if you are comparing, if you're saying, well, I've got friends who have had mental health issues and bounce back, and that's fantastic if you have. I'm not for one second trying to put that down. That is great. But to try and then say, well, I mean, he's just going through something lots of people have gone through. Well, that's partially true. But then to today, walk back into that locker room, and I guarantee you, I, I can say this with complete confidence, in the history of the National Football League, on one hand, if it takes that, I can give you the number of in-locker room conversations regarding mental health that have taken place. They don't talk about it. And the NFL, this is true of all sports, but this is especially true of football. And I've discussed it before, Manny, in different contexts, but it's very important here. Sports are about, at the highest level, to a certain point, suspending your belief. Suspending your belief and never talking about your fears. Mm. Because if you are, if you believe that you can be a champion, and in football, if you believe that you can be a champion, which means going and basically trying to kick another human being's ass for three hours or more every Sunday, talking about fears, about mental health, about being a fragile human being, about what keeps you up at night, are not subjects that these guys ever want to discuss during their time with their teammates. They might go home and talk about it, completely mm-hmm. get that. But as far as when you walk into that room and you believe that you are one of the best on earth and that you have the ability to be a champion for the elite of the elite, it's never allowing yourself to look like you might be fragile. And this is a situation where perhaps for Griffin's health, he's absolutely positively at times going to have to do that. I'm sorry, I don't see how you can just say... Okay, yesterday I was in a therapy session or I was getting help, which once again, not making fun of. That's outstanding. Of you should not. be. Okay? Right. But and then say, but today it's football time. It's transition time and now I'm a football player again. It's not a light switch. You can't just no. you can't just And I fear if you do attempt to just flip the switch, that's not going to be good either. Oh, absolutely not, especially when we're dealing with 
a situation a situation like this where we're talking about mental health. I mean, this this is not a situation where Everson Griffin, okay, he's he's expected to participate in team activities today, but it's not just. I mean, people yesterday when the news broke, it was kind of like. There were some, and 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 I don't know exactly who, but you know, there were some people that were thinking, "Oh, well, he's returned to, to he's returning to team activities today or tomorrow, so that means that well, he's going to be ready to go." And they need him against the Saints on Sunday, so he just walks in, practices for a couple days, and boom, he's ready to go. No, it doesn't work like that. It's it's not that simple. I mean, this is not you know, Courtney has alluded to it. This is not like he pulled a hamstring and that he's just. In that the last couple of weeks, he's just been healing the hamstring, and now he's going to be ready. No, this is this is a totally different ball game when we're talking about mental health. And this is also not on Mike. Mike Zimmer is a football coach. He is a lifelong right. football coach. It's what he does. To expect him, I've always found it to be intriguing and and potentially misguided for a guy like Griffin to come back and then for Zim to be on the hook for all the questions. Now, Mike can say. Yeah, you know what? I'm being told he could probably play in three weeks or two weeks or on Sunday, and that's fine. But I've always found it to be very, very interesting, and I don't know if it's super wise to be like, hey, Zim, they're going to ask you a bunch of questions about this. Just answer them. Because Mike Zimmer, in his defense, is in no way capable, no way, nor should he be asked to be capable of answering the questions about where this is going to go. He is he is like you, he's like me. We've got no clue. Mm-hmm. But I will I will give you the state the state of the train of thought in the National Football League in 2018. So for all of us who think, well, they're more enlightened now. I mean, people are people are maturing as far as what they think and mental health, which we do talk about more and we should. But here's the state of the National Football League in 2018 just for a little bit of a taste of what Everson Griffin is going back into as of today. Okay. The Athletic from out in the Bay Area reported this week that quarterback Derek Carr has a, quote, fractured relationship with teammates, in part because there were perceptions he was crying on the field in Oakland's Week 6 loss to Seattle after his non-throwing arm was damaged. Carr felt necessary to defend himself on Twitter and shoot this down, but this is more telling than anything. Mm. Among the things he tweeted, not one tear, not one time. That's the state of this league right now. That's that's the macho nature of yeah. this league. Because that where, shouldn't matter. Well, he shouldn't no. have. He should not have to go on but, Twitter to say that. But compared to what Griffin has been through right. in in the past month, a tear, perhaps because you're just in so much damn pain, you can't help but cry. A tear, and and for him and for Carr, whether he's telling the truth or not, doesn't matter here. The most telling thing about what he tweeted was not one tear, not one time. As if to say, I would never cry on the football field. There's no crying in football. And there's no, from my end, there's no hot take here. This is not a criticism of the Vikings. It certainly has nothing to do with saying that Griffin should or should not come back. I don't know. It's just a matter of perspective. right? Right. But this is, but this is, but I think what's very important, because you're right. And I thought the same thing. When we saw the release come out late yesterday afternoon, your immediate thought is, oh, he's going to play on Sunday. They need him against the Saints. There's no hot take here. What there is is what you just used that word, perspective. Mm -hmm. And the perspective is this is an incredibly, incredibly difficult thing. 
And no matter how much, no matter how far we think that professional sports has come when it comes to mental health or being open about things, football is the last sport that's going to ever, if ever, catch up. Because it's all about how tough are you? How how out of control? Uh, think about this. One of the things about Griffin that people absolutely loved on Sundays was what? He's a maniac out there. Mm-hmm. Look at him. He's a maniac. Look at him yelling. Look at how great that, that is. Well, there's a chance for his well-being. That can't be part of his being. And sure. this goes back to the switch. You can't say, you can't say to this poor guy, Everson, all right, for you to be well now, what I need you to do, approximately 11 a.m. on Sunday, before an hour before kickoff, flip the switch back to the old you. But besides that, don't do it. You can't and say you that. Can't, yeah. You can't say that. Here's more uh, Zim when talking at his press conference today about the return of Everson Griffin. Well, they really care for him and they like him and they, you know, they they're glad that he's doing much better. And um, you know, I haven't. I mean, you know, he came in and saw me yesterday, and you know, he's in good spirits. And then, um, you know, I haven't seen him around the rest of the players other than in meetings today. And there's not much talking going on there. So. And they care, and I get that, and and I'm sure that quite a few players, especially on that defense, Manny Hill, are his friends, but that's a long way from saying, let's sit down in this locker room and talk about you. And you've seen that. Athletes hate to do that stuff. Right. Hockey players are so superstitious, they won't name the Stanley Cup. They won't mention the actual Stanley Cup. They just call it the Big Chalice. They won't t- They won't touch the conference right. championship trophy when they win it. So do you really think that they can sit down? Do you really think that a group of wild players can sit down in the middle of the room before practice or at their stalls and talk about mental health? It's just out. It's so far out of the realm of what they want to or are, are wired. That's the correct word. What they are wired to do. Yeah, and and I don't know, you know, and I'm not going to pretend, and, and I'm certain, I'm certain you, you know, you'll, you're the same on this, but I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on like what the best course of action will be for Everson Griffin right now, if you know, because there's always there's always kind of the thought of well, you know, maybe he just needs to get back with the team, and then that's gonna, you know, maybe he gets back to football, and then every, you know, yeah, and, no, and, you're right. The you're reality right. is, is that we don't, we just don't know. The only thing, I mean, from my perspective, the only thing that I hope for is that I I don't know what the right or the correct course of action would be for him right now. I just hope whatever course of action is taken is the right one. That's the, that, I mean, from my perspective, that's all I can hope for for him because, I mean, I've, obviously I don't know him personally or anything, but obviously he was dealing with something very serious and I just hope that for him that whatever actions that he's taken over the last few weeks since he's been away with from the team and whatever actions he takes from here on out mm-hmm. is the right actions to take, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. that it's the right one. And I'm not just talking about for football here. I'm talking about for him as a 30-year-old man with a wife and kids. Like, I just hope the best for him. That's the only thing I can I can say really, at this point. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd is the show. Phil will join the show at uh, 4 o'clock. Until then, it's Manny and Judd. When we return, Mike Triplett, ESPN.com, does a great job covering the Saints. will join us to talk about Sunday's matchup. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. On 1500 ESPN. 
Triplet ESPN.com. Saints Beat Reporter joins us now on the Mackey and Judd Show. Mike, appreciate the time. I'm going to start you off with this one. How much talk is there uh, down from your end about the playoff game now? And, and is that something that's been put in the past, or are the Saints going to clearly try and use that as a factor as they come in here? And uh, and I would take it at first, relive what was a nightmare finish, but was a really, really good for them second half in that game in January. Well, yeah, Judd, I think they are downplaying it, saying it's not a revenge game, it's two different teams, it's a new year, and all those things. I don't know if privately they're using it as motivation or saying the same thing. But the one thing that there's no doubt about is that they use this team as a measuring stick. I mean, not only did they lose that playoff game that ended their season and trying to get to where they wanted to, they also started last season losing at Minnesota. Um, so this will be their third trip there in two years, and they, they went only two there last year. Uh, they just talked about how big it was for them to survive a really tough, physical matchup at Baltimore, who currently has a number one defense in the NFL last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure they approach this the same way. They know these are the kind of matchups that define who you are, and they absolutely have respect uh, for Minnesota. Not only is a team they haven't been able to beat, but a team that's had one of the best defenses in the NFL for three or four years running. Is this, in your mind, a better Saints team right now that we're going to see on Sunday than the one that played here in January in that uh, second-round playoff game, Mike? I don't know if it's better. Uh, their defense has actually uh, taken like two steps back and then one step forward again since then. Um, the offense has continued to roll, though, since what they did in the second half. And you're right, it was an incredible comeback. Breeze, it probably would have been a signature Drew Breeze performance if they had won, and he hasn't let up since. Uh, so I'd say the offense is still firing at all cylinders. The defense is battling a little more inconsistency, but but it's it's been a little better over the last three weeks, so maybe I'd say about the same. Mike, where did Taysom Hill come from? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just wrote a story about him. If anybody has a chance to read it today, that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, this guy um, is, is so much fun, and the funny thing is, you know, Sean Payton's had Drew Brees for 13 years now, and he's even mentioned a couple of times you know, never, th- you know, that when the Wildcats phase came through the league, then the read option became a thing. He's like, I don't really need to take the ball out of Drew Brees' hands, but when he got his hands on this guy, he's decided every once in a while now to take the ball out of Drew Brees' hands because he is having so much fun designing all the different ways he can use this guy. He was an undrafted rookie with the Packers last year. You should be seeing a lot more of him. He should be in Green Bay, but they let him go on cut-down day last year, hoping to get him on their practice squad, and, and the Saints swooped him and, and claimed him off waivers. And last year, they wanted to get him on the field so bad they put him on special teams as a coverage guy. He had four special teams tackles last year, and he has three more this year. And this year, they, they really opened the floodgates. He's been a quarterback, a running back, a receiver, a tight end, and a kickoff returner. <laughs> really? Wow. Uh, speaking of Breeze, 39, how remarkable is this guy, Mike Triplett, to watch on, on a weekly basis. I covered Favre for two years, and one yeah. was great. And I had seen Favre, but I didn't cover him on a daily basis like you have covered Breeze for such a long time. How remarkable is it to watch this guy year after year after year, and now near 40, continue to be this good? It really is remarkable, but I'm not shocked because he hasn't he hasn't done it with necessarily remarkable physical gifts. You know, uh, the big arm where he was just, you know, doing what Pat Mahomes is doing all over the NFL right now. He's always done it by just seeing the field, 
you know, like a chess master and, and throwing to receivers that he doesn't see. He just knows where they're going to be and, and knowing at the line of scrimmage what a safety's going to do. And when he sees the safety do it, he knows where to attack. And, and that's been his game for 18 years in the NFL now. And, and that's stuff that doesn't necessarily go away with age. Maybe gets better with age, but obviously he is more, you know, a better athlete probably than he gets credit for. And he can elude danger in the pocket and he can make some throws. He did some really impressive things getting away from that Baltimore defense last week that don't show up on the stat sheet. He really is having maybe his best year since 2011 this year. Mike, the Saints made the trade for Eli Apple uh, this week, and, and obviously the going up against the Vikings offense with those receivers, Thielen and Diggs. Uh, do they anticipate Apple playing this week, and, and how badly will they need him to go up against these Vikings receivers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it will be tough to say he's the solution for this week. I think it's possible he could start if he looks ready to start in practice because he's been starting for the Giants this year. It's not like he just came in off the street. Um, but I think the way we're, Peyton worded it is they'll have an, uh, a place for him in their plan this week, and I think they'll see how that develops during practice if it looks like that'll be a small piece or a larger piece. Uh, but in general, they decided they need him to face the Vikings of the world. They've got the Rams next week, uh, another uh, team loaded at receiver. And, and it's been their biggest flaw this year. Um, they, they've given up way too many big plays in the passing game, let too many quarterbacks have a field day against them. It's been getting a little better lately, but, uh, but it's still obviously an area that they decided if they're going to do something with this 5-1 and one season, they're going to have to be better on that back end. How has Lattimore looked in his second year? He really was struggled in the first game this season. Uh, they were the first victim of Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, <laughs> who lit him up in a 48-40 win in, in week one and went right at Lattimore with Mike Evans like we hadn't seen anybody do last year and had a lot of success. And I think it was a wake-up call for Lattimore, who admitted you know, he probably wasn't practicing as focused as he should in practices like games. And he's gotten better since in really the last three weeks. He's looked a lot like he did last year. Um, kind of shut down Odell Beckham, kind of shut down Crabtree. He'll shadow uh, most weeks. I don't know who he'll shadow in this game, though. I'll probably feeling the way he's playing right now, but it'll be interesting to see. I'm curious. I'll ask you guys. Yeah. If if teams shadow the Vikings, what have they been doing? Was it Diggs early and Thielen now? It's been Diggs, yeah. Yeah, it's been Diggs. But, but the most important thing with, with Thielen, Mike Triplett, is off the line of scrimmage, you've got to hit him. Far too ma- yeah. many teams sort of just bump him, and he's a big guy. They bump him, and he releases from there and has had great success. So I think the most important thing, if you're the Saints' defense from this particular game, you have to be physical when you can be. It, it makes you think maybe they do have a plan for Apple in this game, man, because that's, that, that's his job description. He's a bigger corner who's physical, and so is Lattimore, of course. But uh, I guarantee you they'll uh, uh, both those guys will probably be seeing safety help over the top. So, Mike, how good does this defense need to be for this team to ultimately be successful? I don't think it needs to be a top-ten defense, but it can't be this bottom-five defense that they've been in too many years in the past. And there's some categories, including like opponents' passer rating, where there's still a bottom-two defense in the NFL right now. Like I said, it's been getting better, though. They're up to 17th in yards allowed. They're number one in run defense. That's partly because teams have had so much success throwing against them. But, yeah, if they are somewhere between... 10 and 20, uh, and if they're forcing more turnovers than they have this year, that's another problem. They've only forced five takeaways. 
they've got to make up for some of those big plays by making some of their own. But they don't have to win with defense. They need to have a complimentary defense that gets that ball back in Drew Brees' hands once in a while. Mike, what kind of uh, boost has Mark Ingram brought to the offense since since he's been back? I mean, not that I don't think anybody's shedding a tear for Drew Brees in this offense because they already uh-huh. have so many weapons. But uh, with him being back in the lineup, I mean, how much has that helped? I don't know if boost is the right word, uh, <laughs> but he's giving Alvin Kamara a much-needed breather because when Ingram was gone, they did not find any other running back they trusted to give significant touches to. So Kamara was averaging 23 touches a game. He led the NFL with 611 yards from scrimmage and six touchdowns in those first four weeks. But he was just taking a pounding because he was out there for almost every snap. So now you can keep those guys fresh and go one-two punch like they did last year, and I think that'll serve them both really well as the year goes along. Hey, Mike, how, how is uh, Coach Payton taking the fact that in Week 8 you have to travel, or his team does, has to play the Vikings here, and then in Week 9 you turn around and get the Rams? I would take it the, the head coach is not a huge fan of the National Football League schedule makers right now. Is that a correct assessment? Well... First of all, you never knew, obviously, when the schedule comes out, which ones are going to be the tough ones and the easy ones. But True. we saw this coming. That what the schedule makers did do for the Saints is they gave them two home games to start the year, two home games to end the year. Uh, I don't think they had any playoff teams or maybe one playoff team uh, in, like, their first four games this year. So they had to take advantage of the early schedule because it's just brutal. It's the toughest remaining schedule in the NFL now. After the Rams, it's at Cincinnati versus the Eagles. Uh, they still got two against Carolina. So it, it's it's just one after another from here on out. They have to take advantage of that early schedule, and they did with that 5-1 record. So, Mike, if the uh, Vikings lose this game, I think there's no question that as we get to uh, or through Week 8, the top of the conference is the Rams and Saints, and then the Vikings are still good, but they're definitely on a second tier. If the Vikings win, though, I think you can make a pretty good argument that you can go into the middle of the season having a very honest discussion about your top three teams are Rams 1, Saints and Vikings 2 and 3, but they're all around the same tier or group. Do you agree with that? Well, look, yeah, I, I put Vikings at number three right now. Uh, and if they knock off the Saints, then all of a sudden this is a, a heated battle for that number two playoff seed. Uh, I assume the Rams, I, I, I should know this, have the Vikings already played the Rams? Or that they lost play? to them. Thursday night game. Okay, so, yep. yeah, and so if the Rams wipe out both of them, then, then they're in a tier of their own. Uh, but, yeah, no question. I, I, I think you can throw the records out the window. I think... The Saints and the Vikings are the number two and three teams in the NFC, so I think the winner is sort of in the driver's seat for, for that number two seed. Do the are the Saints really thinking about trying to get home field advantage? I mean, obviously this this uh, Sunday night's game is huge for for both the Saints and the Vikings, but are the Saints also thinking about because we know how tough it is to go into the Superdome and, and win a game if you're a road team? Are the Saints? really focused on trying to get home field advantage as much as possible or are they do they feel pretty comfortable that they, that they can go on the road in a playoff game and win no i mean i think it's both i i think they do think they can go on the road and win i mean they practically did it at minnesota last year uh but no look they've won one super bowl in their history and they're the number one seed that year uh they, they had a brutal loss they went 13 to 3 and it would might have been their best team in 2011 and they had to, they were a three seed with thirteen wins, and they lost in the divisional round at San Francisco last year. They lost in the divisional round at Minnesota when they thought they had a team that could win the Super Bowl. So they absolutely know firsthand 
how important it is to be playing those games at home. Mike, what changed in your mind, or what were you told from folks that you talked to subsequently at halftime of that game? Because the Vikings, the first half of that playoff game were dominant. The defense looked great. If you go back and look, Breeze's stats were incredibly pedestrian at that point. Yeah. And the second half changed everything. What did the Saints find or alter that, that allowed them to expose a defense that up until that game had been absolutely fantastic for an extended period of time? Well, it's a great question, and it's one we never explored because that's not what we were talking about after that game. I mean, it, it, it should have been the story, and we should have written it 50 times about you know this incredible comeback. Uh, but I'll tell you what. I mean, there's two guys. The one thing that I took away from that is it was kind of strange last year that the, the Saints just weren't down much, and so they were able to rely on the run game. Drew Brees' numbers were low across the board. Michael Thomas didn't have a lot of touchdowns in the regular season. But you always knew that if needed, those two guys were super-duper stars in the NFL. And that game just showed you. I mean, they were probably the two best players on the field that day. And that hasn't really let up this year. I mean, I, I think I think if you need Drew Brees and you need Michael Thomas, you need Alvin Kamara, uh, they're, they're three of the 20 best players in the NFL right now. Um, and, it, it, you know, in a, in a big moment, those guys are going to come through. And that hasn't really stopped since that second half of that game. Is Marcus Williams going to play in this game? I saw he's banged up. And if so, has the poor guy been already asked a thousand times, why didn't you just grab number 14? Yeah. Why didn't you just grab him? Yeah. Um, he Yeah, look, he's avoided the subject all year, so it's in the past. He's never really given the, you know, the full confessional, the full breakdown. <laughs> uh, I don't know, uh, you know how he'll approach that this week, but I assume the same way that he'll field questions without saying much. Um, I don't think it's supposed to be anything significant. He was standing on the sideline late in this previous game, but I think he's supposed to be okay. We will get our first practice report in, in about an hour or two, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, absolutely, and you know, look, he's been playing at a pretty high level for the Saints, and I think they consider him an asset in this game, even though he'll be facing some games in it. Thanks, sir. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. Mike Triplett, uh, ESPN.com. Check out his work. Does an outstanding job covering the Saints. More Mackie and Judd after this. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Guys, I thought we were in a hurry. On 1500 ESPN. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boys. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. So what do you think? It's <laughs> pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. That is hammered in the left. Hit three-run home run, Nunez, and the Red Sox open up game one. Joined now by Roy Smalley, our friend from Fox Sports North, obviously Twins' former shortstop and uh, observer and great commentator on the game of baseball. Your thoughts, sir, on game one of, of Sox-Dodgers, which included what we just heard, that home run by Eduardo Nunez last night at Fenway Park. Great fun to see uh, Eduardo Nunez hit that uh, that home run. He's such a uh, such a wonderful personality and a, and a nice player, and it was uh, that was great to see. Uh, and uh, the game the game went, uh, I think, not unlike what I would expect. I, I think it's going to be somewhat of a slugfest uh, World Series. It should be it should be pretty fun. Question for you about tipping pitches. So I heard the story last night, uh, Craig. Kimbrell was supposedly tipping his pitches, 
And Eric Gagne, the former Dodger, who also pitched briefly for the Red Sox, I guess picked up on this and told Alex Cora, your guy is tipping his pitches. And since then, it's been fixed, and Kimbrell has gone from struggling to pitching well. How common is that for uh, pitchers to have a problem with tipping their pitches? And as a hitter, what's the most what's the most common thing to pick up on that a fan doesn't see that you guys as players see when somebody's doing that? You know, there's there are all kinds of uh, things that a uh, a pitcher will do. It, it's it's common for hitters to uh, try to figure it out, and it's easier now than it's ever been because of, I think. Uh, it is uh, because the guys have uh, you, you have all this video on on uh, pitchers, and you, you can slow it down and look for little changes in movement that a pitcher will make in his delivery. And I'll give you some examples of that. But I, um, uh, I walked into the clubhouse on the road with, when I was uh, uh, doing games for the uh, the Twins uh, in 2017, and Tory Hunter was sitting at his at his um, chair in the locker room with his iPad, and I walked over to him, and I, and he, I said, you, you're looking at, the, uh, at today's picture. He said, yeah, I, I think I got it. I think I got his slider or something. You know, he's looking at, he's looking at that. Boy, I wish we had had that, that kind of technology in, um, when, uh, when, I was, when I was playing. Um, so what do they do? I, uh, a personal example, uh, there was a guy, a left-handed pitcher named Bill Travers that pitched for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers uh, back in uh, my day and then ended up um, uh, going to the uh, California Angels for a while. And I want to say it was 80 or 81. Uh, we were out there. I, I, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't remember what it was. Sometime back then, we're out playing the Angels and Travers is pitching, and uh, I had noticed that when he, he had a, a fastball and a, and a really good uh, split finger, uh, like a forkball, and that was the tough pitch. I mean, it was really good off the fastball. And I noticed uh, that uh, when he would set his hand, uh, when, he would, when he would jab his, uh, his finger, the ball in, in between his fingers to set up that, that forkball, his glove would flap open a little bit. So like his right, he was left-handed, the right hand in the glove. When he set the fork ball, it, the, uh, the thumb and, and last finger of the glove would, would widen, right? It would flap open yep. a little bit. Okay. And, um, and so I came up with the bases loaded uh, one time and um, really uh, didn't want to be swinging and missing that fork ball, looking for the fastball. And uh, so um, he... Uh, uh, he uh, flapped. Uh, he started into his windup and flapped, and I knew a fork ball was coming, and and so it started out low and broke below the plate, uh, the strike zone. So I was able to take it, and the uh, the next pitch he didn't flap, and I was so I was looking fastball and got it, hit a grand slam. So it, those kinds of things can really, really wow. <laughs> uh, and those, so that's that's one thing. A guy uh, a guy can uh, when he's setting a pitch. The glove can move a little bit. Sometimes uh, in, on different pitches, for whatever reason, he comes set at a different spot or uh, more likely uh, he, his leg comes up higher on one pitch uh, than another. Or, you know, there, there are little movements like that uh, in a pitcher's uh, d- delivery uh, that, uh, that, that uh, can uh, tip you off. And, and if they're if they're if he's consistently doing that, it it jumps out 
pretty easily. Once you see it, it's like, oh, yep, there it is. It was like uh, it was like Bill Travers slapping that forkball in his glove. Roy, do you think we saw maybe any of that last night in Game One? Because you, you before the game starts, you're looking at okay, Kershaw versus Chris Sale. I mean, this is this is the best of the best. This is a heavyweight fight in terms of two premier pitchers in Major League Baseball, and neither one of them got through five innings last night. So, do you think any of that was just you know them maybe tipping pitches, or was it just a matter of two two good offenses being able to hit the ball off of them? It's the latter. Those guys can really hit. Um, and especially with Kershaw, I was thinking this last night when I was watching the game, um, that you know Kershaw just doesn't have the same fastball anymore. He's throwing yeah. 91, 92, and that's not hard enough for these Red Sox hitters. And I, was, I found myself wishing, even though I, I'm pulling for the Red Sox, but, I, but, I, I found, but I'm a Kershaw fan, and, and I want him to do well in the postseason because he's a Hall of Fame guy, and, and it's too bad that he's, that he's had – you know, relative struggles, uh, you know, in the postseason relative to his dominance, you know, during the season. But, but I found myself wishing that he would just spot the fastball and just keep throwing it inside to everybody, and then and then try to get people out with the slow curve and the slider and and change up and and give these guys get you know keep making them think they were going to get fastballs and then get them out with something else because he just he he just doesn't have the you know the, the the fastball velocity anymore. So I, I think it's and with Chris Sale, uh, I actually did tweet about it last night. I mean, when they when they hit Sale, it was it, it, they got fastballs in the middle of the plate, and and it was so important when you got to have a guy that's got stuff like that. And the Dodgers did it fairly well. It, you can't swing at nasty pitches early, uh, and you must hit the fastballs in the middle of the plate when they show up because. You know, when you throw it on the inside corner, on the outside corner, you're just not going to get hits on on those. And, and uh, if you swing at a ball up in the strike zone when you're not a high ball hitter, uh, and get yourself behind in counts, then you got no chance against that stuff. It's just too good. And what the Dodgers did was uh, after the first inning or so, they uh, they really made Sale throw the ball in the middle of the plate uh, and didn't and, and made him throw a lot of pitches. Didn't swing at the nasty ones. And that was really getting Sale out of the game was was really more about the fact that uh, he was, you know, he was weak a little bit. You know, he'd been out, and uh, they just made him throw, you know, get to a pitch count where uh, where Coro needed to needed to take him out. So they they did a they did a good job of being uh, being patient with some nasty stuff. Uh, Kershaw's stuff is going to be, I think, is going to play difficult, difficult, in a difficult fashion in the postseason because he just doesn't have the fastball anymore. How is a California kid rooting for the Boston Red Sox? <laughs> well, I was a Dodger fan, you know, for, for a long time growing up in L.A. There's no, you know, I, I really was, and I still have a, uh, you know, spot in my heart where depending on, you know, depending on who they play, um, you know, I, I, am, I, I am pulling for them. But I'm an American League guy. I spent 13 years in the American League, and, and um, you know the twins are in in this league. It, it, it's better for the, uh, in my view, for the American League teams uh, to win the All Star Game and the World Series. So, you know, I'm pulling for the Red Sox. And by the way, yeah. that Red Sox team is a pretty nice, pretty easy team to 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 like those kids. Those guys are yeah. those guys are good players. Your thoughts? Speaking of likable people, are not Manny Machado. 
I mean, he's a hell of a player, but is is that the type of guy that, that you would have wanted to play with, or is there a pain in the butt factor there that that he would do great things on the field, but you wouldn't necessarily want him as your teammate? You know, I'm reminded of um, Ozzie Gian's great line about A.J. Przinsky. You know, when, they, when he said, when, when you play against A.J. Przinsky, you just really hate him. But when he's on your team, you hate him a little less. <laughs> And that's, I think that's the way guys got to feel about uh, And maybe Manny's the greatest teammate in the world. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I really don't know. That can be the case, you know. And Przinsky's that way. Przinsky, um, but, uh, you know, maybe Manny is, is a really great guy to have in your own clubhouse. And then he does these things, and you kind of shake your head and say, I, just, I wish you wouldn't do that. As a fan and, and, um, uh, of the game, I wish he wouldn't do it. I'm not a big fan of uh, of, of what he does, um, but I, I mean, I love the I, I love the aggressiveness and the wanting to do anything uh, to win. It's just that some of the, he just goes over the line a little bit, and and I, I I'm not crazy about that. Roy, why has Brian Dozier really struggled at the plate since he became a Dodger? What what do you what do you think the issue has been with him? Well, he was he, he was not having the best of years when he was with the Twins. You know, right. he just was struggling uh, this year, and I'm I'm not really I'm really not sure. I, I I do know that you know his game in his mind, his game is to pull the ball, hit the ball long to left field, and I will tell you that in order to do that, everything has to be more perfect on that, on that approach than on any other kind of approach. And um, it, sometimes I think you can have years where it's just not working. And, uh, you, you know, a guy can have an off year at the plate. And to compound things, if you're having an off year and you don't change, you, you don't make a change to try to do something a little different if you just – if you say, you know, this has always worked for me and I'm going to keep trying to do this thing, if that thing for it is by definition, you know, has, has to be more perfect at the, you know, in your approach than any other kind of approach, you can, you can prolong the, you know, the long year. In fairness to Brian, he's had a really bad knee uh, all season long. He hasn't said anything about it. Uh, I don't know how it's doing now, but I know he was in a lot of pain when he was here. And didn't say anything about it, um, and uh, you know those kind of things can throw you off too. So it could be, it could be something as you know as simple as uh, as he just doesn't have his legs uh, underneath him, and it's it's messed everything up. But you know, as I've watched Brian over the years, I've always wished with his talent that he would hit the ball more all over the field than, <laughs> than be. As, right. you guys, as you guys know, yep. I, I guess. I guess I don't have to say that again. <laughs> Your odds-on favorite uh, to be the Twins' next skipper, it sounds like we're down to three finalists now, Roy Smalley. <laughs> well, if there's three finalists, then I'm a solid number four. Uh, hey, if, you, if they can come down and, and hand you a lineup card, you could be a candidate. This job, it's amazing how much this job has changed. I don't, uh, you know, I was, I, I was afraid you were going to ask me uh, what I thought they were looking for in a manager, because I have no idea what Pretend that I just did, Roy. What, that, what that template is. I've got no idea. What? Okay. 
what would your uncle Gene Mock have done? Oh my God! If a couple of young, if a couple of youthful executives with ties and backpacks entered Gene's office at Met Stadium, circa 1977, and said, "Here's your lineup card, Gene. I think this is what you should go with." What would Gene have done? Oh, guy, I've I've got three or four images in my mind and and lines that he would have used that I can't tell you. I mean, I can't. <laughs> That that would have been uh, on and on the spot. Um, one side or the other was going to be was going to be gone that day. <laughs> That's for sure. It is, uh, yeah. It's it's remarkable because I really do believe now. Uh, Jason Stark said this to us a couple weeks ago, and I think he put it perfectly. The days of the rock star manager are basically gone. Well, you know what? I, I'll tell you something. I I would love. And maybe I'll get a chance to do this sometime. I would love to sit down with Joe Madden and say, Joe, tell me how things are with you now. You're, you're, you're the dean. Uh, I mean, there, there's not anybody that can be more highly thought of as a, as a manager in baseball than you are right now. Let me, tell me the conversations you have with Theo Epstein and the <laughs> analytics department. And I, I mean, I, I'd like to know how that, you know, how that works. I, I really would. I'd like to know if, if Joe is, supremely affected by that or if he is re- if he's still you know managing the uh, the Joe Madden way I, and I, I think there probably are a number of managers now that get the lineup presented yep. uh, to them and um, I'm just hoping for their sake that they don't get calls in the sixth inning about which guys to get up in the bullpen I, I really do believe that that's the uh, going to be one of the deaths of the game as far as I'm concerned if we if we get to that point Sparky, I think you're taking your pitchers out a little bit too quickly. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about Sparky Anderson. Let's talk about your strategy. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It it could never be too quickly for Captain Hook there. I know. uh, It might have been the might have been the other way uh, the other way around. But but you know the thing about that is that analytics are are I, I think are great. I'm I'm a big. Uh, fan of the things that they're starting to understand about uh, about pitchers and hitters and and all that kind of thing. But you know, a manager still has to manage through the human aspect of the of the game, which is both psychological and physiological, right? I mean, it, it might be clear that this particular this left-hander I have in the bullpen ought to be the guy I bring in to get this particular left-handed hitter out, or you know, whatever. Except that. He pitched uh, an inning last night and, and, two and a, two and a third the night before, and he's not available. And so, yeah, I know he's the right guy, but we can't use him. Uh, or what do I do in game one with that guy? It, it, because there's, it, I know I'm going to get the analytics of a key matchup almost you know, every game potentially. Yep. So how do I use him? You know, and when do I use him? And how long do I use him? And it, I mean, there's all kinds of things. And then... You know, there are psychological things that a manager knows is going on with a player that a guy's struggling or he's got stuff going on at home or, you know, whatever. And, and you have to, you know, you have to take some of these other things into account. So I'm not, I am the first to admit that I don't have the first clue about how all of that stuff is going to shake up. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time as always, Roy. Take Thanks, care. Roy. See you guys. All right, bye. Roy Smalley, uh, who does a uh, fantastic job, Fox Sports North, uh, Twins pre-post, and also some uh, games as analyst, former Twin shortstop. Always a fun baseball conversation with Roy. Mackie and Judd's the show, TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil will be stepping into studio in moments.
People, people, I have an important announcement. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout Whoa. on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic. Uh, right now, mostly around the metro, everything moving rather smoothly. Do want to tell you, though, uh, Highway 77 northbound near Richfield, uh, near Highway 62, be on the lookout for a crash there. That may slow, th- slow things down a little bit. But otherwise, everything moving rather smoothly. Judd? Thank you, Manny Hill. Appreciate it. Some uh, breaking Vikings news today. It doesn't come as a surprise. And Courtney Cronin, I think, alluded to this in a tweet early this morning, but... Our buddy Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, reporting today that uh, Dalvin Cook will be out again this weekend. Courtney alluded to the mm. fact, I think what she has heard, and this is this is my guess, that Dalvin Cook's not going to play against the Saints. That he's not going to play in what would be, what, week nine against the Lions. And that the hope is to get him back from this hamstring problem, Manny Hill, after the bye week. Which, by my math now, will be... So that, that'll be nine games into this season. So we're talking he will have played in approximately, if you take out the pitch count Rams game, he will have played in six of a possible 25 career games so far. Wow. ACL last year after, I think he got hurt in the fourth game against Detroit at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium. And then uh, he will be, he played in the first two this year, hurt the hamstring at Green Bay, was on the pitch count against the Rams, but didn't play in the second half of that, that entire game. So clearly mm-hmm. did more damage in that game. That was that was not simply a a pitch count precaution. I think that became a problem. And so uh, Dalvin Cook now most likely out through the bye. And I will say, if this gets him back in the second half, then do it. Sure. Then do it. Because I, I honestly believe that his presence in this offense changes the offense in a way that will allow this team to do much more. It's vital, and we've seen, I mean, just in the last few weeks that he's been out, they don't even really, they don't throw screen passes anymore. And he's a guy that, if you want to run screens, he's like perfect for that. Now they have, obviously they have other running backs. You've got Murray and you've got Rock Thomas and Mike Boone and all that, but they've just gone completely away from the screen game now. And I wonder if it's just because because he's not there. But at the same time, it's like, well, you still got to try and, utilize that aspect of your offense it just adds more versatility to your offense but these hamstrings man like they just remember remember when moss in 04 yeah well you can't well you can't his hamstring in new orleans you can't bring a guy back a second too soon right the pitch count thing doesn't work with hamstrings yeah because the pitch count thing is their thinking is well if he only has 20 snaps but guess what if on snap five it goes again then you're out for as we're seeing right now another month I, I remember when remember when Chris Paul in the conference finals pulled his hamstring and there was oh well, they're hoping he can play. He's not gonna play. No, you're done. You, you can't I mean hamstrings are they those things are pesky, man. They never they never seem to go away unless you let them fully heal. And if they can get him through the bye week and bring him back and he can play, then I'm all for just continue skip this game, skip the next game, yeah. take the week off. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie joins next couple hours to go. Mackie and Judd with Manny Hill. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers! On 1500 ESPN. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Shred. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton. Motivation that moves you. 
Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.